Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Dr. Morgan Anderson, clinical psychologist, relationship coach, love expert, creator of the ESL relationship method, and athletic wear connoisseur. My mission is to help you raise your self-worth, have great relationships, and step confidently into the next level of your life. Each week, two episodes will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract great relationships. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. So buckle up and let's get vulnerable. Dr. Morgan here. I have to share with you my first book, Love Magnet, Get Off the Dating Roller Coaster and Attract the Love You Deserve is launching on January 10th. This book is everything you need to get off the dating roller coaster, to become that securely attached version of you who effortlessly attracts that great relationship that you've always wanted. This is a no fluff approach. It is a fun read, an easy read, and it is experiential, meaning I will guide you through the work that has helped hundreds of people that I've coached. If you do the work in this book, you will change your life and you will be able to easily attract great relationships. So if you know that you're in need of this book or you know someone who's in need of this book, make sure you mark your calendars for January 10th. This will be available on Amazon and you don't want to miss it. So additionally, I am happy to send you chapter one. If you want access to chapter one for free, there's a link in the show notes. So check that out. But mark your calendars, January 10th, love magnet will be available for purchase. Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast. It's your host, Dr. Morgan. I am so excited that it's a new year. I just love the energy of a new year. And as I'm thinking about 2022 and reflecting on everything I went through, I realized there was so much change. And I was probably living out of a suitcase for most of the year, if I'm honest, um, between trying to be near my family and be near my partner and going to all kinds of events. And it was a very busy, a lot of energy output for me. And I realized headed into 2023, I'm going to be intentional about my energy output. And what's really cool is the podcast continues to be a place that I will always put my energy and I know it makes a difference. I get daily messages from people of who this podcast has helped and they they tell me that it's really helpful. So you all and this audience continues to be such a gift and I'm really happy that we get to grow together And 2023 is going to be filled with even more value on the podcast. So if you've been a longtime listener, I appreciate you. I love you. I'm sending you so much love. And if you know that there's people that would really benefit from this kind of advice and, you know, attachment theory and dating and healing and just 
I think there's so many people in our lives that maybe have never stopped to think about the things that we talk about on this podcast. So if you know someone, make sure you send them maybe one of your favorite episodes or a couple episodes and hopefully it can help them out, right? My goal is to help as many people as possible. And I'm just excited to continue to do that in 2023. Today's episode, I want to tell you a story. And I think I maybe have told parts of this story, but I'm going to try to tell it a bit more detailed and see if I can um, really give you guys some value while I'm telling you this story. So it starts out with a young girl age six who loses her mom and it is an unexpected loss and it's a complicated loss in that her mom isn't physically gone but she is not able to communicate and is in a vegetative state and this young girl sees her family fall apart And she also sees the adults around her grieving and crying and struggling day to day and people closest to her experiencing depression and going through trauma, all the things from age six. And in the process of growing up, she grows up very quickly. She becomes an old soul by age seven. And the reason is that she had to learn how to be there for herself and how to tune out her emotions. And she got really comfortable with experiencing pain. And she was really able to feel other people's pain. And and she became a highly sensitive person and very in tune and very in touch with the people around her. And as she grew up, she realized probably by about age nine or 10 that her mom was likely never getting better and that her family was never going to be the way that it once was, the happy memories of childhood. And she watched as her dad remarried and her family changed again and she moved across the country and she lost all of her friends and was taken away from her aunts and her uncles and her cousins and her friends and she's thrown into these new environments and she tries to make friends at school and she's told that she's overweight and that she's chubby and four eyes and Um, gets made fun of for wearing the same outfit to school every day because her family wasn't that well off. So a lot of the time she wore the same outfit to school. Um, Her dad wasn't really the best at knowing what to do to help a young girl feel pretty and to have nice hair and skin and to feel um, taken care of. So she's kind of always feeling like the ugly duckling and the person that's left out. And this young girl also at some point um, had to rely on 
food is coping. And this was reinforced because her family every night would have multiple servings of ice cream or they would always go out for these crazy big buffet dinners. And at some point, food became comfort and food became the way to celebrate and became something to look forward to and something that was predictable. And at the same time, this young woman was receiving messages that your worth is determined by your physical body, that you're only valuable if you're skinny, that you have to look a certain way in order to be loved. And these were messages from the media, from her own dad, from friends, etc., that put physical appearance above all else. And this young girl, she's growing up, eventually makes the decision that she wants to go live with her aunt, Peggy, in Montana at, at age 12. And she goes and she's separated from her father, her other parent. And there's a rupture and there's all kinds of beliefs happening there about um, it's not safe for me to ask for what I want. And if I can't get what I want, then I just need to leave. And she repeats that pattern again and again and again in her relationships later on in her life where she's anxiously attached at times. And then if she can't express what she needs and she becomes immediately avoidantly attached and wants out of the relationship as quickly as possible. And she's in her 30s when she finally realizes that that was a pattern that she did at age 12. Um, so she's in Montana and for the first time experiencing some stability, some unconditional love, a lot of emotional support, but she's still, still tying her worthiness to getting a man's attention to being beautiful and her first relationship, a uh, serious relationship, ends up being with someone who is dating someone else at the same time and ends up proposing. Yes, I'm 16 years old. Ends up proposing to myself and the other person at the same time. So first serious relationship and completely heartbroken and lied to and taken advantage of. And it didn't matter what was happening. She was just so determined to be loved. She would do anything. She would take care of this person, give them money, call them, drive them all around. They didn't have a car. And she just wanted to be loved. Even after they proposed to someone else while they were dating her, she just wanted to be loved. And she would do whatever she had to do to feel like someone loved her. And you may have guessed by now, I'm telling you the story of my life. Um, and there's so many details, of course, that I'm leaving out, but I'm just kind of giving you the overview. And I share this with you because I want you to have hope. You hear this story and you go, oh my gosh, this person is going to struggle, right? And we continue on. I'm 18, 19. I'm in college and I find myself in another 
terrible relationship where actually this time I'm being really controlled and told what to wear and told what to eat and told that I'm fat every day and that I'm not good enough and that I need to cook their meals and clean the house and that I'm supposed to talk a certain way and that when I'm around their friends, I'm too loud and that I need to be quiet and be seen and not heard. And I'm in this relationship for over a year doing everything I can, spending all kinds of money on this person. Once again, over giving, over giving all the time and devaluing myself in the process. And the irony is that I'm studying clinical psychology because I really just want to help people. I really, I know what pain's like and I just feel like, hey, if I could just help people all the while I'm avoiding my own healing, but at least I'm certain I just want to help people, right? Um, and I'm going to school and I, you know, love school. Finally, get out of that relationship, end up in another off and on relationship that wasn't necessarily abusive, but it was definitely emotionally unavailable and date someone for years who refuses to say, I love you. And the reason being they don't believe in saying, I love you. Um, and off and on, long distance, difficult, lots of pain, tons of overanalyzing, tons of doubting myself, of um, really unhealthy relationship protest behaviors all over the place. If you looked at that version of me, you might describe it as a hot mess. Um, and this is all before age 25. And at this point, I have a ton of emotional wounds and I have all this pain and I have all these beliefs built up that I'm not good enough, that no one's going to love me, that it's too late for me. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough. Um, that I am never going to have a healthy relationship. I'm never going to get married. By this point, 25, my friends are getting married, you know. Um, I'm not always good with the timeline. So I guess if we're saying before grad school, what would I be? Before we get into grad school, I'm more like 22. It all blurs together. You all know this. The older you get, you're like, how old was I? <laughs> but yeah, but even by the age of 22, I had experienced so much, everything I've told you. Um, and then I go on to grad school. First week of my graduate program, I get on Tinder because I'm like an addict at this point. Those of you listening, you know, you know what it's like. You need that validation. You've outsourced your self-worth. You need a partner. So I'm first week in Portland, Oregon, um, living with my twin sister, which I absolutely adore her now, but it was a very rocky relationship back then. Um, but we're in Portland. I go on a dating app immediately, connect with quite possibly one of the most toxic people I've ever dated. Um, big time alcoholic, very, very depressed, um, using all kinds of drugs. Uh, I don't even, I'm, I'm like so unaware. I think it's just my Montana upbringing. Like I don't even know what drugs he was using, but I know he was using them. Um, and somehow I get pulled into this 
cyclone of just awful, awful experiences. And I can't even remember. Oh, yeah. I'm like, what happened? I remember now. So like six months off and on, totally emotionally unavailable person, won't even return my calls, just randomly text me. And I would always make myself available, whatever I had to do. If I had to cancel something or if I had to run from a clinic or whatever I was doing, I would make myself available for this asshole. And um, I remember like six months in, he says, well, actually, I have a girlfriend. She's been in the Peace Corps and she's coming back in two weeks. So we need to pretend like this never happened. Um, And I'm going to propose to her. And I kid you not, I hope he's not listening. I don't think he would find this podcast, but he literally proposed to this woman. And at that time, I was devastated. I thought that it was going to like go somewhere. I'd been so like, okay, I can change him. I can help him. He has so many good qualities. I can just help him learn how to not drink so much, right? But he gets married to this other person very similar to the first relationship I ever had. (laughs) He's literally... I don't know if he's still married to her or not, but they get engaged. They get married. I stalk him on social media for years looking at their photos. Um, And it gets worse after this. My relationship experiences get worse. And I know that a lot of you listening, I'm not here to compare. I'm not here to say like, ooh, my pain is so bad and No, I know that all of us have relationship experiences that are unique to us, and it's all valid. It's all valid. My trauma, your your trauma. Um, I'm sharing this with you because I don't want you to feel alone. And I also, like I said, I want to give you so much hope, right? I want to give you so much hope. So... A lot of you already know this story, but I'm just going to go into a little bit more detail. And I will say trigger warning for those of you that have experienced domestic violence. That's where we're headed. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of insight into what that relationship was like. Um, So don't listen if you're really working on things and you don't feel like you'll be able to emotionally regulate. Fast forward through this. Basically, my second year of graduate school, I remember I had just gone through a breakup, someone who probably was like a decent person, but um, I definitely sabotaged and just, you know, lasted maybe three months. So I went through this breakup and then I'm on the max train in Portland. Those of you that know Portland, the Portland max. And I had just done a spin class. It was 8 a.m. Um, I was in my athletic wear. I, I know the pants I was wearing, my Lululemon striped navy blue pants that have white stripes. And I'm sitting there in the max and I look up and there's this incredibly handsome man. And I'm immediately attracted to him. It's like a lightning bolt goes off. And I have all this energy. I got the endorphins from my workout. 
And I go up to him and I say, hey, how's it going? And we start a conversation. We're like the only people on the max. And what I find out is he had been out all night and he had left his car somewhere and he couldn't remember where he parked his car and he had lost his wallet and... There was another part there, too. But yeah, he'd lost his wallet. He couldn't find his car. Um, and he was going to try to go to one of his friend's house. So what do I do? Hello, red flags everywhere. This is a grown man. It's literally a Thursday. It's 8 a.m. And he was out all night the night before. I'm like, hey, can I take you to lunch? <laughs> Or brunch, I guess. I'm like, we should go get brunch. So we go, and I was eating very um, clean at the time. So I know we, we went to Laughing Planet. Some of you know that in Portland, great spot. And we talk and we connect, and I'm convinced I've met the love of my life. And we go on a date every single day for the next four days. I remember some of our our dates, we were walking around the city, going out to dinner. We're laughing. We're talking about our future together. We're talking about our past and we're talking about all of our past relationships and we're just getting it all out there. And he's saying things like, I've been waiting for someone like you my whole life. I can't wait to introduce you to my family. My mom and dad will love you you're so amazing. I love that you want to help people and you're studying to be a psychologist and you're into fitness. Oh my God, like you are everything I've ever wanted. And I'm hearing all this and it's like, oh my God, this is how I want to feel. Like I, I'm starting to feel like, oh, I am good enough. I am worthy. Once again, I've outsourced my self-worth. And um. We have six months of a whirlwind romance. Those of you who have dated a narcissist know what this is like. It's like a drug. And we travel to Chicago multiple times. We go see the Cubs play. He's a big Cubs fan. He's buying me perfume. He's buying me all kinds of gifts. He's taking me out to dinner all the time. Um, he's introducing me to his family, taking me on a family vacation with them. All of the things I'd always dreamed about are happening. And then six months in, we start what happens with a narcissist where they start to um, criticize you. They're, they begin the devaluing stage. So they they put you on a pedestal at first, which is the love bombing. You're on the pedestal. You're everything they could ever want. And then later they start to devalue and criticize. And I, I've talked about this on the podcast before. You may remember, I know the first time he criticized me, it was something so stupid. It was like, I hate when you wear your hair down you look so much better. Or no, I hate when you wear your hair up in a ponytail. You look so much better with your hair down. And I can go back to that moment. I know exactly where I was. Sisters coffee shop in the Pearl. 
And he says that comment. And I remember thinking, huh, that's like the first time he's ever said something. And it was small, tiny, right? But, you know, I was like, huh, that's interesting. He must be having a bad day. Pretty soon, those comments become more and more frequent and and way more um, hurtful. Um, fast forward to you look like a beached whale, which is one of those ones I kind of laugh at now because I'm like, it's just so creative and visual and, you know, humor is, is healing. But he loved to say that I looked like a beached whale. Um, he would also say things like, you are um, so ugly. No one else is ever going to love you. Your family is so screwed up that nobody would ever date you. And that was a big insecurity. I had beliefs that since my family background was so complicated, losing my mom early, going through all the stuff I did, that that, that would be a deterrent for a future partner. So narcissists are so good at tuning into what your insecurities are. They get you to tell them everything, you open up, and they know what to say to hurt you, right? So he's saying everything he can. Oh, yeah, you're not that smart. I can't believe that you got into a doctorate program, which anyone in a doctorate program will tell you they have imposter syndrome and they already have fears that maybe there was a mistake and they're not supposed to be there. Um, So he knew exactly how to hit on that insecurity And eventually he started drinking a ton for the first six months. He'd never drank. So then he starts drinking a ton. Um, There was a time we went out for Valentine's. I'm carrying him out of a restaurant. He's wasted. He has all of the food. I remember he was just so sloppy. There's like food all over him. He's wasted. I literally had to carry him, like put his arm over my shoulder and just try to like drag him out of the restaurant. Um, And it just got worse and worse and worse. And I had no self-worth. The other really painful thing was he was able to um, isolate me from friends and family, classic narcissist right there. So telling me that he wasn't okay if I had friends that I wanted to see, that I wasn't allowed to hang out with my friends, um, that I shouldn't call my family members, that he's the only one that loves me. Very manipulative, emotionally, emotionally manipulative. And I ended up my closest friend who I'm still friends with today, we repaired our relationship. It was really rocky at this time though. Mariah, he ends up um, being just mean to her and not including her, never like taking a chance to get to know her. And eventually she sees what I'm going through. She sees that I'm crying probably every night. Um, She sees that I'm just becoming a shell of who I used to be. She tells me she's very worried about me. She wants me to get out of the relationship. I feel like I can't. I feel like it would be death for me to leave the relationship because I'm so controlled. This person became my whole world. Um, So basically, she decides to move out. So it's just me alone in this apartment. 
um, in this relationship. And somehow I'm still able to go to grad school, (laughs) complete my coursework. And this goes on for months and I become more and more self-loathing, self-critical, depressed, very low energy, crying a lot, um, lots of concern from people in my life, but I don't feel like I can do anything about it. And then what ends up happening, and I, I know I've told this story, is that there's a, well, there's a few times where it's no longer just verbal and it's physical. And I'm not going to go into detail about that, but there was physical abuse in this relationship. And there was one night in particular where it was pretty bad and I was scared for my life. Um, but that didn't even, that, that wasn't even the thing that got me to rock bottom. And as I'm talking about this, I'm aware of if you've never been in this situation, it's so easy to say, like, just leave, just get out. But those of you that have been in a toxic relationship or an abusive relationship of any kind, you know that it is very challenging to get out of it. When you've been so controlled, when your self-worth is at zero, when you had that phase of the love bombing and everything's perfect, and you just keep telling yourself, oh, if I could just get back to that place, we had such a perfect relationship, but we could just get back there. And of course, you also experience the addiction of intermittent reinforcement. Because while that relationship became a living nightmare, there were still these moments of, oh, I saw the old version of him of, oh, you know, let's go to the coast for the weekend. And I rented us a cabin and we're going to go have this amazing time. And we would. And I'd still be walking on eggshells, but I'd tell myself like, okay, everything's changed. Everything's going to be fine. And it's that intermittent reinforcement that hit to your brain of, okay, wow, you know, things are going to be okay. Just like in gambling, when you hit the jackpot and that's how you get addicted to gambling, we have that experience in abusive relationships, right? So anyone who's been through this knows how hard it is to leave. But I'm going to tell you all, and I've talked about this a little bit, but the the thing that finally I just went, I am going to die if I stay in this relationship. It it really was life or death for me. There's been a couple times in my life where I have felt that path and it's very spiritual. It's like go in the darkness or go towards the light. And I had that moment in this relationship where I um, had gone through a near-death experience, which I know I've talked about in the past. I'm not going to go super into detail, but the long, the long story short is that um, I was thrown into a car with my partner while he was blackout drunk. And he was threatening to drive a car off of a bridge. So that was incredibly scary. 
Um, and I was lucky that there was a witness and I did not die. But honestly, um, it was probably one of the most terrifying moments of my life. But my rock bottom was the morning after that experience. I'm in my apartment complex where now I live by myself. And I'm in the lobby because the policeman needed to get a full report from the night before because the witness had called the police. And I'm on the floor in the lobby. I am completely emotionally drained. I'm at my absolute rock bottom. I can't stand because I'm in so much emotional pain. And there's a police officer and he's looking down and he's asking me for the details of the night. And I am completely numb. I have tears streaming down my face, but I'm just completely numb. And the look on his face was just pity. And he felt bad for me. And I just remember in that moment, once again, it was, you can go into the darkness, which is try to make this relationship work and know that eventually you will die in the process or go towards the light, which is the hard path of healing, getting out of the relationship, maybe reconnecting with your family and friends. And it was in that moment on the floor of my apartment complex that I made the decision that I would figure out how to have a healthy relationship. I decided I will figure it out. And even if I can't do it for myself, I'm just going to study and understand it. And maybe I could help other people. That was the bargain I made with myself because I couldn't believe that it was possible for me. But I said, what if I could at least understand it intellectually and it could help other people? And that was the birth of what you now see in my life, where I am Dr. Morgan, where I dedicated my career to understanding attachment theory, to healing and rewiring of belief systems, to learning how to regulate emotions and to attract healthy, amazing reciprocal relationships. And to now having experienced great relationships in my past and a totally, this is the most important thing, a totally new relationship with myself where I am loving and kind and tuned into myself and I am confident and I am able to ask for what I need and set boundaries and I have incredible friendships. I have an incredible work life. Everything that you see today was birthed in that moment of absolute despair when I could not even stand because I was in so much emotional pain. And it, it makes me emotional to think about it. Because I know I very easily could have gone the other way. And... Um, I don't want to think about what that would have done to my family. Um, and I'm just really grateful that I did choose the path of healing. 
because now looking back on it, um, I've been able to help so many people. And that's that's really what six-year-old me really wanted was to help people. Um, and the meaning that I now give to all the struggle, which I told you all probably 25% of my relationship history, but the meaning that I give to it is that it helped make me who I am today and it cemented me to my purpose. It completely connected me to why I'm on this planet, which is to help people heal um, and to help people have great relationships, no matter what their history is, no matter if you resonated with what I shared or if you've never had a healthy relationship. My mission is to help as many people as possible have incredible relationships first and foremost with themselves because we all deserve that. So I share these parts of my story with you because I want you to have hope and I want you to know that no matter how bad it is, and maybe you're listening right now and it's bad for you right now, and maybe you're just, you're not even in a healthy relationship, but you are not able to, um, or you're not even in an abusive relationship, you, you don't resonate with going through relationship pain. Maybe you've simply been in a place where you're alone and you haven't been able to allow yourself to date or you haven't been able to get out into the dating world. Um, I want you to know you can choose differently and that that's its own kind of pain when you are an island, the pain of living your life as an island and being disconnected but safe. But in reality, that hurts us because we don't get to live the life that we want, right? So no matter what your history is, no matter where you are right now, I want to give you some hope. Um, I wrote the book Love Magnet because... I wanted to help as many people as possible. This is a common theme for me. I want to help as many people as possible have high self-worth and great relationships. And this book really gives a ton of value of experiential work that will help you move closer towards the healed, securely attached version of you. I can tell you this that if someone had given me this book when I was sitting on the floor in the lobby of my apartment complex, it would have changed my life. It would have made my healing process go so much more quickly. Instead, I would say it took me probably about, oh, another six to eight years to really fully heal and let everything go. And of course, I'm grateful for that process. But now, you know, it's just a gift to be able to give people something that can provide a shortcut. Because for me to go through all that pain and then to not help people would be so selfish. So my goal with this book is that it helps you move through your healing in a way that actually works, not just like a surface level band-aid bullshit that so many gurus give you. 
but in a way that actually works, that's deep internal healing, and that it's going to save you time, that it's going to save your relationship energy so that you're not giving energy to relationships that don't deserve it, and that you're able to quickly become the version of you who attracts great relationships. And I'll be honest, this book is really helpful. You will make a lot of progress. And then I want to invite you, if you're ready to really, really do the work, you would want to do the program, the Empowered Secure Love program, and read the book. And that's because we just do better with coaching and one-on-one accountability and a support group so that we don't feel alone. Um, And there's just things that are in the program that I just couldn't put in a book, even if I tried. I did my best. Like There's a lot of gold in the book, but there's just things in the program that it's the only place to get it. So I want to encourage you, if you listen to my story and you know, like, hey, I want to live the next decade of my life differently than I've lived the last decade. I'm tired of waiting for the right person to come along. I am going to become the right person. I'm tired of having a self-critical voice and having low energy and not wanting to be out in the dating scene because I don't even like myself. I'm tired of dating people who won't commit and playing games and being in these relationships that aren't even defined and that go nowhere and the people who just pop up in my life whenever they feel like it. I'm tired of wasting time not being the wife, the mother, the person that I want to be, the person that I know that I'm capable of being. If that's you, then I want to invite you to apply to our Empowered Secure Love program and start changing your life. So I hope this episode was inspiring to you. Definitely a lot that I shared. So I'm just acknowledging that was kind of like a diary entry, but I share it because I know there's parts of my story that you resonate with, that as you listen to that episode, that you are thinking of your relationships and experiences that you've had. And my goal is that you give yourself so much compassion and you know that just like me, just like my little inner child, six-year-old Morgan, who went through so much trauma and pain, just like her, that you were doing the best that you could with what you knew at the time. And it's okay. When we know better, we do better. And I would add to that, when we become securely attached, we show up differently. So you owe it to yourself to change how you're showing up in 2023. And I would invite you grab the book or if you're ready for the whole experience, apply to the program. And I would be so honored to coach you on your journey to healing and attracting a high value, great relationship. I would love to be your coach. Um, You can obviously find the links for this in the show notes. 
And thank you for being part of this community. Thank you for connecting with my story. If it resonated with you, send me a DM on Instagram. I love to connect with y'all. You are why I do what I do. Send me a DM. Um, And of course, you know, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. I'll talk with you soon. You guys, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you. The best way that you can thank me is by sharing this episode on Instagram, Facebook, and making sure that you tag me at Dr. Morgan Coaching. And it would really mean the world to me if you took just two minutes to leave me a five-star review on iTunes. This podcast is not free to produce, And the more that you help this little show grow, the more people will have access to this valuable information. So until next time, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. Thank you for being part of this community.